Coming up this evening, live from New York City. Russia defaults on its foreign debt for the first time in over 100 years. It says it wants to pay, and it can pay, so what's the holdup? Large firms like Disney, Apple, and Amazon want to cover part of their employees' abortion costs, but could they face legal trouble if they do so? Alarm in Beijing. State media reports the zero COVID policy might last another five years, later backtracked. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. It's great to have you with us. Paul Graney here for NTD Business. Russia is defaulting on its debt for the first time in over a century. The last time was during the Bolshevik Revolution. Back then, the communist Bolshevik government simply refused to pay off its debts. This time, Russia wants to pay, says it can pay, but says it can't do it because it's been kicked out of international payment systems. According to the Wall Street Journal, bondholders say Russia missed two payments Sunday. Russia says the West has manufactured an artificial default by not letting it access foreign bank accounts and use cross-border payment networks. As you can imagine, a messy legal situation may ensue. Russia owes about $40 billion in foreign bonds, but it has over $600 billion in foreign currency and gold reserves, but about half of that was blocked by Western sanctions. Now, the leaders of G7 countries were meeting today, and they are planning to ban Russian gold imports. But some say the move is mostly symbolic, since they don't buy that much Russian gold anyway. The other two biggest buyers, China and India, aren't in the G7. At the G7 summit, the leaders also announced a new global infrastructure program that aims to counter China's expansion through its massive loans to poor countries. Indonesia's Jessica Beatty has more. Leaders of the G7 group announced an infrastructure program Sunday at a summit in Germany. It's called the Partnership for Global Infrastructure and Investment. Collectively, we aim to mobilize nearly $600 billion from the G7 by 2027. President Biden said the United States would contribute $200 billion over five years. He said the funds would support projects in low- and middle-income countries that help tackle climate issues as well as improve global health, gender equity, and digital infrastructure. I want to be clear. This isn't aid or charity. It's an investment that will deliver returns for everyone, including the American people and the people of all our nations. Europe pledged over $300 billion for the program. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said the program would build a sustainable alternative to China's Belt and Road Initiative. To show the world that democracies when they work together, provide the single best path to deliver results for our people and people all over the world. Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping launched his Belt and Road Initiative in 2013. It established global trade links through building railways, ports, highways and other infrastructure projects. Critics of the BRI call it a form of debt trap diplomacy, saddling developing nations with high debt. If they can't pay China back, then they risk having to hand over strategic infrastructure and resources to Beijing. Biden said the G7's new program is a chance for democracies to share their positive vision for the future. When democracies demonstrate what we can do, all that we have to offer, I have no doubt that we'll win the competition every time. The G7 summit's also focusing on steps 
to stabilize global energy markets. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. An alarm and confusion in Beijing today. It's after an announcement that the zero COVID policy could last five years. State media Beijing Daily first published it citing an official, but it later backtracked and removed the time, dif- time reference of five years. The paper's president later said staff made a mistake saying the part about five years it wasn't actually in the original report, but some internet users are questioning what actually happened, suggesting the paper was perhaps covering up for authorities because of backlash from citizens. A hashtag related to the remark was viewed nearly a million times in Chinese social media before it was removed by censors. And with us to talk about China's zero COVID policy and how much it could cost the Chinese economy is economics professor Anthony Davies at Duquesne University. Anthony, maybe let's start off with the economy. So manufacturing, productivity, etc. What will this do to the economy? It depends on how serious people take the claim that the goal is zero COVID. Um, It sounds good, but the fact is, when you have so many people, the chances of getting down to zero COVID are infinitesimally small. The resources it would take are gargantuan, and that would have a huge negative impact on the economy. Now, if indeed people don't mean actually zero COVID, but limited amount of COVID, a reasonably small number. Then the question is, what's the trade-off? Are we willing to devote our resources, our resources better spent, uh, reducing COVID deaths or reducing something else like smallpox deaths? Now, you, you say infinitely small, the chances. What do you mean by that? Well, if you have a population of over 1 billion people, the, the ability to get COVID down to zero is virtually well, zero. And we know that, for example, there are people who still die in developed countries of bubonic plague and, um, and leprosy, diseases that, practically speaking, have been eradicated. But nonetheless, when you have hundreds of millions or billions of people, the odds are you're going to find one or two cases out there. Now, let, let's assume that Beijing is determined to get rid of every single virus case. Will they be able to do this within five years, do you think? I don't think they'll be able to do it within a century. It's simply not possible given the number of people we're talking about. I wonder if you could give us a general idea of how much it would cost relative to the GDP. That's a really good question. And the data aren't aren't in yet to be able to make a, a reasonable estimate here. I can give you an example from the United States. It seems that thus far, Uh, COVID eradication measures have cost us somewhere in the neighborhood of five to $10 trillion. When you include not just the money directly spent on COVID, but also the reduction in economic activity because we're upsetting the economy as we move resources. So five to $10 trillion to reduce the number of COVID deaths by how many? That's also unclear, but initial estimates are in the neighborhood of 500,000. So when all the dust settles, uh, reducing deaths from COVID were far, far more expensive than reducing deaths from many other diseases that we don't bother to fight with the intensity that we fought COVID. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, China wants to be the most powerful country, right? Can they have zero COVID and achieve that goal at the same time? I don't think so. I, I would suggest they're mutually exclusive because uh, the the key to 
to Chinese economic power, in, in my estimation, is getting the allocation of resources right, directing the limited resources where they can do the most good. And certainly directing resources toward COVID eradication will do good, but I don't think they'll do the most good. So eventually they'll have to choose between either or the other. I believe so. Anthony Davies, professor of economics at Duquesne University, thank you very much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you. An advisor to China's central bank says it'd be hard for China to meet its economic growth target this year. Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping had just vowed to meet the target just last week. And now that Roe versus Wade is overturned, firms are saying they'll cover travel expenses for employees who cross state lines to get an abortion. But is that even legal now? Vidish Khan Fredrickson has more. Many large companies say they will cover travel expenses for employees who want to get an abortion. For example, if a person lives in a state where abortion is almost completely illegal, such as Utah, the company will pay for you to travel to a state where it is legal, such as Nevada. It's hard to see what the benefit is for, for, for shareholders. It's going to be upsetting to um, you know conservatives, and, and conservatives are 35% of the the population. William Flagg is the founder and CEO of the American Conservative Values ETF. Flagg says this move alienates both customers and employees. I think it's really just um, the senior executives of those companies using it as a, a mechanism to, um, you know, express their opinion. In addition, these companies may encounter legal troubles. Those employers will stand substantial risk that they may be prosecuted for aiding and abetting individuals and in, um, going against the law. Angela Redock Wright is the founder of the Redock Law Group. Redock says it remains to be seen exactly how the legal issues will unfold. It's a big deal. I mean, because even a company as big as Disney or Starbucks even or Dick's Sporting Goods, um, although they presumably have the resources to defend themselves in any such lawsuits, um, it takes away from their business. State lawmakers have even threatened companies over their policies. Some are outlining abortion-related proposals to prevent businesses from covering travel expenses. One firm that may be affected by all this is Disney, which already covers travel expenses for those seeking abortions, but reiterated its policy. To me, this is just a, a political statement that the company is making. Jose Castillo is a resort duty manager at the Walt Disney Company, as well as a Republican running for Congress. Castillo says many of his colleagues don't like the direction Disney is headed. One in particular, he said to me, you know, I don't know how much longer I can work for this company, you know, because this is, they, they feel the same way. I do believe the very liberal left are the small minority. There's a vast majority of customers, where I call them the silent majority at Walt Disney World, who are uh, against what the company's doing. The Wall Street Journal says eight states so far have implemented a near total ban on abortion, and six could very soon follow. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. The South Dakota governor says her state will ban mail-order abortion pills after the Supreme Court decision, but she says women should not face prosecution for seeking them. Mail-order abortion pills have been on the rise since 2000. They're expected to see even higher demand. Mididi Marshall has more on that. 
Abortion pill demand is set to rise in the United States since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. According to a New York Times article, nearly 100 requests for appointments flowed into Just the Pill, a nonprofit organization that arranges for patients to obtain abortion pills in several states. That's close to four times the usual daily number, with many coming from Texas and other states that are quickly putting a stop to abortions. More than half the U.S. abortions are now done with pills rather than surgery, an upward trend that spiked during the pandemic with an increase in telemedicine. From the year 2000 to 2020, the percentage of abortions performed with medication has been on a constant rise from 0 to 54%. Abortion pills have been used to terminate the lives of several million babies in the past two decades. They also caused about two dozen maternal deaths and more than 4,000 adverse reactions in users, including bleeding, extreme abdominal pain, and life-threatening infections. Nearly 100 lawmakers tried to get the FDA to ban the use of Mifeprex, saying that the deadly pill should never have been approved. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And Credit Suisse has been found guilty of failing to prevent money laundering tied to drug trafficking. It's Switzerland's first criminal trial for one of its major banks. The case included testimony on murders and suitcases stuffed with cash. This isn't a movie. Today, the court said Credit Suisse didn't do enough to stop money movements by a Bulgarian drug trafficking ring, former employee of the lender, is also found guilty of money laundering himself. Credit Suisse and the employee have denied all wrongdoing. The bank says it will appeal. But the conviction results from an investigation dating back more than 14 years. It's seen as a test case for authorities who've pledged to get tougher in the country's big banks. Analysts say it could send a message that Switzerland is now cracking down on money laundering. Credit Suisse faces a fine of over $2 million. And U.S. stocks closed lower today with mega caps such as Amazon and Alphabet providing the heaviest drag. The Dow losing 62 points, two-tenths of a percent. S&P dropped 12 points, three-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq fell 83 points, seven-tenths of a percent. And Americans will have to dig even deeper into their pockets to celebrate this 4th of July. Sorry to tell you. The American Farm Bureau Federation released a new survey today. It found that Independence Day cookouts will cost Americans 17% more on average than it did a year ago. The report feeding 10 guests on average will cost nearly $70 this year, an increase of about $10 from an increase of about $10 from 2021. The biggest price jumps come from beef products. Two pounds of beef can cost 36% more. Chicken, lemonade, and potato salad have also seen an incline in prices. Experts blame inflation, supply chain issues, and the war in Ukraine for the increased costs. But not everything is going up. The price for potato chips, cheese, and strawberries have apparently actually dipped. So inflation is everywhere, except for strawberries. So where do you look to preserve the value of your money then? Many are investing in collectibles that are known to go up in value, especially one category of goods that's standing the test of time, literally. Reports. Vintage cars, antiques, comic books, and more. Collectibles that investors have been pouring money into since the CCP virus pandemic hit. Some of them have fallen back down in value after shooting up. But one category seems to be doing better than most. Watches have the benefit of the physical size, the, the actual collectability, the culture of people wanting to own many and then wear them and actually use them. 
Luxury watches have been fetching returns of 30% or more in the past year. That's according to the Subdial 50 Index that tracks the top-traded luxury watch prices. Robert Velasquez has a passion for watches. He used to work at Patek Philippe and has been a watch consultant for nearly two decades. He says the rise of social media really boosted the watch industry. That created a very high demand, the supply stayed the same, and the pandemic actually exasperated the whole situation because now you have less watches and more people who want them. And in the third quarter of 2020, you have so many people who had expendable income didn't have any way to spend it because no one was traveling or going on vacation or, or eating dinners. He adds that it doesn't take a lot of money to get started. If you have an entry price point that starts at something as low as a few hundred dollars, you can buy a Seiko, you can buy some micro brands that are very low priced, but you can also spend millions and millions of dollars on something that takes about the same amount of space and travel with it and such and, and trade them. But beware. Although luxury watches are up in the past year, prices have dropped down a bit, about 6% in the past 30 days, according to the same index. Phil Zoe, NTD News. Still to come, stay with us. Costco is calling some solar-powered umbrellas over safety concerns. What do you do if you have one? Actor Tom Cruise sets a new personal record with Top Gun Maverick. How much has it made so far? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. back. There may be something unsafe on your patio. Solar-powered umbrellas from Sun Villa Corp are being recalled due to a potential fire hazard. The Consumer Product Safety Commission reports that the items were sold exclusively at Costco stores in the U.S. and Canada from December 2020 through May 2022. Apparently, the batteries inside the umbrella solar panels can overheat to a point that leads to ignition. Customers are advised to return these umbrellas to the place of purchase for a full refund. And the supply chain crisis has retailers considering the unthinkable. Instead of returning your unwanted items, just keep them. Some of the biggest store chains have said in their latest earnings calls that they have too much inventory. Now, with the cost of storage rising, many stores are figuring out it's cheaper just to give customers their refunds and let them keep the merchandise. It's a trend that started with Amazon several years ago. Walmart and Lowe's refused to comment on the new strategy, but several big-box retailers are known to be practicing it. And movie and music news to start your week. Here's the Hollywood Minute. Grown into combat on a level no living pilot's ever seen. Not even him. Tom Cruise has reached a new level. Top Gun Maverick is his first movie ever to gross a billion dollars worldwide. Nearly half of that total has come from theaters outside North America, without the film playing in Russia or China. Please don't make 
new music from Megan Trainer. Bad For Me, featuring Teddy Swims, is the first single off Trainer's fourth full-length album, Taking It Back, due out October 21st. And seafood fans may want to try out a new alcoholic drink from the Northeast. Tamworth Distilling has joined forces with the University of New Hampshire to create a crab trapper. It's a whiskey that features the flavor of green crabs. Officials say these crabs have been a terror to much of New England's coastal ecosystem for more than two centuries. They prey on other species, destroy their habitats, and compete with their food sources. So Tamworth figured the best way to protect their under, other underwater life forms was to take the crabs and turn them into a drink. Crab Trapper is made with a bourbon base steeped in crabs, corn, and spices, set to compare in flavor to a low country boil. This limited run of 200 milliliter bottles costs $65 each. It can be found on Tamworth's website. And a bartending robot in Munich is mixing classic cocktails. The hope is the machine will take some of the strain off local bar staff. This is the hospitality industry there. It continues to suffer from staff shortages. Sounds familiar. With the Andrew Thomas has the details. This two-armed robot mixes cocktails at one of the Sausalitos bars in southern Germany. The bar element is our most important element. We are Germany's largest cocktail chain, so the bar is to us what the kitchen is to others. And if our goal is to make life easier for our bartenders by using mechanical means, then robotic bar help would be the most important thing. Sausalitos and Ignorus Robotics AG developed the robot. The goal is to tackle staff shortages as customers return post-pandemic. Nobody needs to worry about their job. This branch is suffering from staff shortages, which means we would actually very much like to employ more staff if we could find more people willing to work in hospitality. So far, the bartenders have positive feedback for the mechanical mixologist. I actually find him pretty pleasant. He can't talk back or complain. No, seriously, it can take on a lot of the work, and of course there is a learning curve, and of course our two new colleagues, there are two arms after all, need a bit of time to fit into our workflow. But in the future, it is going to be a real help. The bar's manager says the robot's usage will be adapted to staff feedback, and he looks forward to what the future brings. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Would you tip the robot? A clock and watch shop in Cairo, Egypt, has been open for more than a century. The family business has now been passed from grandfather to grandson. And there is Andrew Thomas, is this one too. In Ashud Baba Zion's shop, clocks have ticked since 1903. The Egyptian Armenian inherited the repair shop from his grandfather. People always like to preserve the old, and old things are among the best things we can keep as they are part of your family, part of your history, whether a wall clock or a wristwatch. People always come to me with old watches that belong to their grandparents, which they find at home. I repair them and return them to what they were. Situated in a popular market in the center of the capital, it is considered one of the oldest in Cairo. According to Baba Zayan and some of his customers, people form a special bond with old watches and clocks. If you wind manual watches in the morning, they will operate for 24 hours despite how old they may be. So you establish a relationship with the watch. Wearing an old watch is different from wearing digital watches. People are starting to wear old watches again as they like them. 
and I'm one of them. Baba Zion's grandfather specialized in repairing all types of watches and clocks, both old and new. I have spare parts from as far back as my grandfather's time running the shop. Drawers are filled with things, and I sometimes discover things I've never seen before. Baba Zion has since taken over the family business. He takes pride in his ability to restore old watches, preserving a profession which he says is disappearing internationally. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. And that's the latest from the Entity Business team and myself, Paul Graney. Can still catch Entity Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. For Entity Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.